0: The people of Sake actually brought me into Sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, Not just Sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history... Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sake On Air, the world's first and only podcast dedicated to exploring and expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic beverages, Sake and shochu, oh, and awamori, today we are doing things virtually uh, via Zoom. My name is Chris Hughes, and I am joined today by uh, some of your regular hosts here on the show. I have with me, uh, Marie Nagata. Hello, Marie.
1: Hi, Chris. And hi, sake world out there.
0: How are you surviving this uh, this period indoors?
1: I'm faring pretty well given all of the uncertainty, um, and I've actually gotten quite used to being a homebody. which might not be a good thing once the lockdown is lifted but hey so far so good been enjoying a lot of sake at home and it's not bad actually it's not too bad
0: it's kind of cool isn't it we have to we have the new normal to look forward to after all this and i'm also joined by rebecca wilson lai hi rebecca how are you doing
2: hi chris hi everyone thanks so much for joining, letting me join in on your panel for crushing the party um, how are you all doing? It's been a while since we've actually seen each other in person, so it'll be great to have a bit of a go down the rabbit hole of sake discussion with
0: you all. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We will be exploring, da-da-da-da-da, Natsuzake. Uh, natsu is the Japanese word for summer, so we are of course talking about Somasake. So what, what are your memories or experiences of Natsuzaki?
2: Hmm, where to begin? <laughs> um, I guess my first experience of Natsuzake was probably um, actually at Akaoni in Sangenjaya. In those days, this was maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine. It was still a little bit of a hardcore jizake destination that you. Basically, had to know your sake stuff, or else you'd get kicked out the door, kind of place. Well, that was the feeling; that that wasn't the reality. But that, um, and Aka oni was one of the few sa- uh, izakaya that specialized in Natsuzake or unpasteurized sake, because they had like minus or zero degree refrigerators to store their sake. And so I would go there just to kind. Of, that was my classroom, pretty much. Izakayas in my classroom. So. I remember the Tencho, the the manager, served me a summer sake. Unfortunately, I can't even remember what it was, but um, he explained to me that it was a seasonal sake, and it was... No, I do remember what it was. It was Manzaku no Hana from Akita, but he suggested, you know, enjoying it on the rocks is a nice way to cool down in summer, so... And for me it was a I wasn't I'm not a big shochu drinker, so it was a really um great way to enjoy my favorite beverage in a slightly more refreshing style. So that was my first introduction, but I'm kind of curious to hear where everyone else popped their
1: cherries.
0: <laughs> Marie, what about you?
1: I don't have a single Natsuzake that kind of initiated me in the game, unlike uh, Rebecca did. But um I've always kind of Never, see with natsuzake, like I've never really been able to put a finger on exactly what what makes sake and natsuzake a part of it, apart from it being released in time for the summer. Um, you know, as I'm sure some of our listeners abroad are starting to get familiar with the term, some may even have done a bit of research and looked into it, what... Really is a nutsack, and I think that's a good place for our discussion to to take off tonight. And um, some say it's like a marketing thing. Others say no, no, there is you know certain qualities and requirements to be in the in the group. And I think there are there's truth to both sides of the argument, or both like different um, schools of thought, I guess.
0: Um, that's a big big point. I think sake almost has a cycle, so. You produce kind of new sake in the winter or the spring, and then it goes through this cycle. It starts off really kind of young and immature, and sort of gradually it, it develops throughout the year. Uh, some sake goes into storage, and they sort of, well, not age it. They're not really trying to age it, but kind of, you know, they might sort of mature it between uh, the spring and the autumn, for example. I mean, the autumn is considered to be the season where sake comes full cycle. And the one season, that's always been missing from this cycle really is the summer because essentially the thing that makes sake seasonal is the production process, right? Um, essentially it's how the production changes throughout the year. Um, whether that's how they store the sake or, you know, pasteurize versus not pasteurizing. And like I said, if we look at that cycle, the summer is definitely missing. And so I suppose we have to look a little bit at the history of natsuzake.
2: Yeah, so because we're saying this, but traditionally sake was brewed throughout the year and for example when I was at Yochushuzo, Shuzo, um, Yamamoto-san kind of blew my mind. So I was he was explaining kanzake. And so I said, well, "Why do they why do they bother calling so kan is like winter, so winter sake." Or win- winter production, right? Winter production. So kanzake, I said, "What was the point of calling it Kanzake when obviously most sake was produced in the coldest month of the year and he like, well no it was it was year-round production in fact Kanzake was unusual because most of the sake happened from May until I think September that was the main time I was like what that summer (laughs) what are you talking about so um but that was that was kind of logical because you know early harvesting table rice would be used immediately for making sake so the cycle of sake was directly connected to harvest
0: right 100% correct and in the Moromachi period they had two seasons for brewing sake they actually had two separate seasons they had summer sake they called it Natsuzaki. and they had shogatsu sake and they would brew uh, natsuke starting from around February, releasing in May and June, and they would start brewing Shogatsu Sake, uh, New Year's Sake around September, releasing in the new year. So, of course, things change in the Edo period when, uh, there are various reasons that we won't go into too much in this podcast, but um, there are various theories, reasons, why uh, breweries started brewing only in the winter, but that's what happened. And ever since the Edo period, basically, that's what breweries have been doing. So the summer season is their downtime, right? That's when the brewery uh, brewers who've spent all winter brewing together in the brewery, cooped up in the brewery, get to go back to their families and spend some time with their families. Traditionally, I should say, because perhaps that's not the case so much now. Um, so that's one main reason, I think, why Natsuzaki disappeared. And another Good reason, I mean, I think, is storage, right? Uh, People didn't have refrigerators. More importantly, the breweries, until very recently, didn't have refrigerated storage, right?
1: Um, I can personally attest about um, limited refrigeration. This has actually been an issue for me as of late, because with the whole COVID situation here, as well in Tokyo, uh, we have been instructed to limit our numbers of times we go out for grocery shopping, for example so um, naturally you know we make fewer trips to the store and we just kind of load up on our basic essentials and and whatnot and that has taken up a lot of space in my fridge that would have otherwise been allocated for my dear and beloved sake so that's because i can't well i personally don't want to let my sake just sit out in the room temperature So what I've opted to do since about two months ago is to buy more shochu because shochu can sit in room temperature no problem. Um, So a little bit of, uh, I guess, a little confession to make for uh, beloved sake (laughs) drinkers out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you want to keep the namazaki in the same state that you bought it, you really have to have it around minus five degrees. Otherwise, it starts to develop something called namahine, uh, which is, you know, I personally don't mind it, but it, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's not what the brewer intended when they sold you that namazaki.
2: Exactly. And that's that's the really good point, Chris, because a lot of people love the idea of namazaki, which is unpasteurized sake, um, because it's often misinterpreted um, as fresh sake. But if you smell woofy noises on some of those fresh sake that are going in like 15 degree reefing 15 degree like dry containers around the world, by the time you get them, the artistry and the craftsmanship and the expression that the brewer intended has completely gone and all you've got is like this cinder block, like aroma, um, which is, which is, you know, I I am known to enjoy some Namahine sake, mainly from Kagawa, mainly from Iro- um, Irokubi Gaijin, but, but, you know, that's, That's the style that that particular brewer goes for. They go for that really rustic, um, you know, country bumpkin kind of aroma.
0: So, like, they're all valid reasons why, you know, storage, um, a different kind of uh, production uh, routine. All those are very good reasons why Natsuzaki kind of disappeared from the lineup. Um, And so I I did a kind of an interview with the Saki Brewer for this um, episode uh, with Taka from Yamaguchi Prefecture, they make a wonderful sake with quite medium hard water. I asked Taka uh, Nagayama Takahiro why he thought maybe Natsuzaki disappeared from the lineup, and he said, "Well, my previous generation, the system, the toji system that was in place, because they used to have, you know, they used to have a toji. It was there wasn't really any freedom there to challenge new." styles of sake or to experiment or to produce anything, you know, different for a particular season. They just produced the same thing throughout the year and it was all about stability and quality and consistency. And if you even tried to ask your toji to make you something different, like this summer, could you possibly make us like uh, you know, something that would, you know, match the season, they they just say no, basically. It was
2: But but also the Toji were on contracts. So they were they were on a fixed contract, fixed term contract. So once they'd they'd finished the last batch of production, they were gone.
0: And I think that freedom is definitely a key here. Um, But also, you've got to think that the consumer demand would have been very different as well back in that generation's day, right? Um, I mean, we are in a bit of something uh, Rebecca often calls a Saki renaissance, and I definitely think that's true, um, where the consumer is demanding different styles um you know for breweries to innovate and create different flavors and this is kind of where the current kind of natsuzaki um boom started i think um from consumer demand
2: well i actually before before coming on here the the i thought well i knew that you'd be doing an amazing job of Researching this topic and looking into it and finding a lot of secondary sources, so I thought, well, and I might sort of do something a little bit unusual and actually contact people that don't make natsuzake and ask them why. And so I contacted my friend uh, Yusuke Sato Adamasa and I asked him about natsuake. And he said that it was something that was very much a marketing thing, It was marketing feedback for a suggested promotion, marketing opportunity to create revenue and to fill a void in the market. And I said to him, well, what was the background to that? And he said, well, the originators, well, he said he went, the, they went to a prestige sake of Japan association.
0: Oh, Okanaga. It's the company Okanaga. They're, they're named Monshu Kai. You may have met them. You may have run into them across the world. They do travel.
2: Oh, all the time. All the time, though. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, it's just I'm not used to saying the name in English, so I'm just trying to remember the English name for it. I think it's the Prestige Sake Association. And so he said that at an event, they proposed this idea for... Based because Prestige Association Japan is very much sort of a, a PR, marketing, um, it's 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 a connector. It connects brewers to information from the market and various other points. Um, it gathers market research to inform brewers about how to develop product lineups or to suggest ideas on how they could better brand market and sell their sake. Um, and then they also work sort of with various government agencies as well, I do believe.
0: Yep. It makes complete sense that they would be the ones to do that because they're the ones who came up with the Asa, asashi Asashibori, the the pressing on the first day of spring. Right, if I've got. Right. And Sorry, they
2: were also mention. the people that revived, um, Hiroshi So because Hiroshi had also sort of become something that was not. It isn't what it is today. I think Hiroshi is a little bit like the Beaujolais Nouveau of Japan, Japanese sake. It's something that has been created to be hyped up. And that was the Prestige um, Sake Association creating that real big media push on Hiroshi. And so everyone's like, oh my God, the Hiroshi's coming! So this was, this is directly from a brewer who no longer makes Natsuzake. it's interesting to get another perspective from someone who's not in, um, who isn't currently making Natsuzake. And I, I did say, why did you decide not to continue making Natsuzake as a brewery? And he said, well, mainly it was, it was just marketing and he was trying to do something to move the you know, the, brewery in a different direction. And that then the people who had, were developing Natsuzake started to release it in May like when it's still spring and so it's sort of that kind of thing was defeating the purpose and oh now this isn't just marketing now this is a kind of for him it felt like it was a bit gimmicky so that's just some feedback from the other side of the fence
0: thank you so much for asking a, a sake brewer in particular Aramasa. that's fantastic so i asked tucker um what you know and I thought maybe he wouldn't know, or he wouldn't be willing to tell me, or I wouldn't get anything from this interview whatsoever. And I was quite surprised. Um, So he, one of his kind of big, one of the big sake stores that he um, deals with a lot is uh, Aji no Machidaya in Nakano in Tokyo. Now, I don't know this store very well. um, I have to be honest. So anyway, the story is that back in 2006, Shochu, uh, was experiencing something of a boom this was short-lived but it was quite a big thing here in Japan and in the summer everyone was drinking shochu not sake and they were drinking shochu on the rocks and this store basically approached the 50 brewers them the 50 kind of main brewers that they deal with and said look guys if you don't do something sake is, the sales of sake are going to plummet in this you know in the summer and perhaps afterwards as well so and got them together and kind of did this kind of Natsuzaki promotion, or I don't know if they called it Natsuzaki to begin with. I did call up the store. They were very reluctant to uh, agree to the, uh, to admit this claim. Uh, they don't really feel that they were the first ones to come up with Natsuzaki, and they don't think it's a claim they should be making.
1: What we call today as Natsuzake probably took shape and came about um, in several different Places by several different producers and or industry entities about the same time, which sort of evolved over the next, um, the, over the course of the several, um, next several years to what we call today as Natsuzake. You know, I agree with you in a sense that probably the label Natsuzake didn't really, probably didn't come about at first, maybe not after, um, not after Muromachi period and their, act- their, their production of Natsuzake. Um, but in any case, I do think it's, it's kind of given birth or given momentum to a whole new movement and attitude and a landscape for different brewers to try new, new styles.
0: Oh, absolutely. The question is what is Natsuzaki about? And so the, the kind of demand from the consumer was, um, First of all, you know, in the summer here in Japan, we've already kind of alluded to the fact that it's very uncomfortable season Uh, and you do tend to lose your appetite for food in particular in this season. People eat less. So the demand was basically for something that is lighter, more refreshing and something that you can enjoy without food. That that was the key um, requirement. And. As you said, Marie, I think like the, the, the coolest thing about Natsuzaki is because there is no definition uh, that everyone's agreed on, the brewers are free to interpret this however they like. So they have so much freedom to just go crazy and make all these these different styles. So without further ado, what constitutes Natsuzaki? What type of styles are there out there?
2: Well, i um... Can I just, before we do this, just go back, because in regards to the um thing, I just have a comment from the brewer, was that um, he said that there wasn't a set rule about, in terms of the uh, Prestige um, Japan Association um, conference, there wasn't a, a set rule, but there was a set time of year that you were supposed to, to brew, um, and... I need to get more details from him because I don't, I didn't want to keep him too long with massive questions about something he doesn't make anymore. But um, he did say that Machidayo was not first. He, he said that it was the Prestige Association of Japan and then sake shops got onto it. Now, I think that we can all agree that in Japan, and well with sake, because it is such a small market and it struggles every year, You know to um lift its head above the above the um, precipice um that when someone produces a brewer or a brewery produces something a certain style of sake or a new bent on something and it's successful next year everyone's got one too like so Sankin in 2008 launched their amasupai sweet cell wine like style ten you know two years later Everyone else was starting to make that kind of sake. Um, you know, brewers like Aramasa doing this new style of kimoto, which was a little bit more dry and crisp. And now almost every brewery has now got a, a kimoto style. So I think that possibly what happened is that a very Japanese uh, uh, sake world phenomenon of someone puts their head above the, you know, a sort of um, put, puts their head, head up and makes a bit of a challenge gets a little bit of buzz from it and everyone else goes, yeah, that's a great idea. And everyone jumps in and does it together. But ultimately, it's for the common good because we're all getting to reach... Yeah, exactly.
0: And uh, it's (laughs) important because the summer season is the lowest sales season for sake. So it's a great kind of explanation about how the the sake world works here in Japan. And I completely agree with you because you're seeing this now, actually, um, with all these brewers that have started to YouTube And it only took one of them and now they're all doing it. I'm seeing a new YouTube brewer, which is great. You know, it's great because one thing that the sake brewing industry lacks heavily is marketing. Uh, They spend all their work on the production and not very much work on marketing. And I think Natsuzaki provides this marketing hook that they lack in the summer because their sales really drop in the summer. Um, You know, it's the worst season for brewers to try and sell sake. And it, it feels a bit obvious to me. It's like, why did it take this long? But at the same time, there you go. Um, I do want to throw in, because I forgot to mention earlier that Taka did say the previous generation were making uh, something called Namachozo, which is one of the types of uh, Natsuzaki that exists today, um, where it's essentially unpasteurized sake from the spring that you age in its unpasteurized state until the summer However, he made this very clear. His previous generation were not calling this Natsuzaki. Um, so that's, that's a recent development. And it is, I always regard the true Natsuzaki as being this this Nama Chozo, just within the cycle, just within the seasonal cycle. Because um, it's kind of like the thing that connects between you know the spring and the autumn. Um, but there are now so many different styles out there you can enjoy that are all labeled as Natsuzaki um so maybe we should go through and see which ones we're all kind of uh, rather than me just list them all um if we miss any off my list i can always fill them in later on so marie marie what 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 do you regard as natsuzaki what what's your kind of you know what's your go-to for natsuzaki what styles have you come across
1: um i think there's generally two types of natsuzaki like one um is like you mentioned earlier like light, um, easy to drink, perhaps low low proof, um, low proof sake Um, and then perhaps even sparkling as well or like a little bit of fizzy. Um, We all like a little bit of something refreshing in the summer times, especially here in the Japanese climate and I think on the opposite end of things is something that um, like Rebecca alluded to earlier, um, something that's super kind of bold and strong and that that can withstand addition of ice um, or just being chilled really, really extreme.
0: Um... I I think Natsuzaki is a great season for like a getting into sake because there's a lot of styles that come out that are quite easy drinking, quite approachable. Um, I think sparkling sake is a massive one uh, in the summer because, yeah, it's an obvious one in the wine world. I mean, what do you drink in the summer? You drink sparkling wine, right? Most of the time. Um, It's a very outdoorsy, Drink. Um, So for example, Taka uh makes a sparkling sake based on a a Petalan uh wine from like the Alsace region, uh, because he visited Alsace and fell in love with that style. And but he was saying actually something I I found quite interesting. Uh people probably think of like because I mean sparkling wine is quite easy, easy to make to an extent, right? Um it seems to be a bit more of a challenge with sake because the easiest way to make sparkling sake is really just to stop the fermentation, like very early. But the problem is you're left off with a lot of sugar. It isn't a problem in the wine world, but in the sake world, because the yeast is still in the in the bottle when you do the the secondary fermentation, and it's still very active because you haven't really worn it out in the fermentation. You do get the tendency for it to create a lot of off flavors and aromas, which comes from a sort of um, uh acetyl aldehyde which is created by pruvic acid, and it's quite technical and geeky, but getting that balance right so that the yeast is kind of so so what Tacker does is actually they they lengthen the fermentation out. They do the opposite of what you think they would do. They they cool the temperature and they lengthen it out to wear out the yeast so that when they bottle it, it doesn't go crazy and start creating this acetyl aldehyde And then they just add more yeast and ingredients in later on to create the the secondary fermentation in the bottle we are going to have to do another podcast on sparkling sake sparkling sake i think is a great one and really i, I do like it in the summer i'm not a proponent of it outside the summer but in the summer I'll, I'll make an exception
2: well i think that definitely in terms of the genre and styles within the um the sake family uh sparkling sake is a well a new category in terms of if we're talking about um clear or tome and sparkling um, which has got um, a certain amount of carbonisation, which meant, which sustains itself um, after opening. Because a lot of, as you say, a lot of sparkling sake has got a lot of sugar and um, it. That does not lend itself to a very vigorous um, carbonisation carbonization forming. And so it will be bubbly and sparkly and gushing out of the bottle when you open it, but then it will slowly, slowly probably by the time you've finished drinking it, be quite flat at the bottom of the glass. So what is really interesting is seeing this genre um, improving and technically developing. And so you've got um, organisations like the Awanokai, um, which is the Sparkling Sake Association, that are, right, the Bubble Association, which is really trying to improve the technology and sheer knowledge for brewers to be able to create... Um, much more as you'd expect bubbly sake um and that's a great thing to enjoy during summer you know it's if you're if you're you know at the tennis um you know pop open a sake and have that with your strawberries and cream rather than a than a bottle of champagne um i think that's a lovely idea so the hapo the sparkling varietals are, are definitely the way to start um any summer celebration but another really nice um Another style which I really enjoy, which is often called released as a Natsuzake, is ginjo So we're very much living in the sort of the junmai boom of um a lot of the a lot of brewers are choosing not to create alcohol added um sake varietals. Um, there are some sake added varietals like um your honjozo, your ginjo, and your junmai Oh, your daiginjo shu. Sorry. Um, which are beautifully crafted and crafted with the same amount of artisanal care that the rest of the sake are um, And I really love a nice chilled ginjo um, There's one that's made by a brewery and Ichime, um, which is called Ichizuchi, which is a lovely Natsuzake it's, it's so crystalline and clean and when you've got Natsubate or that summer lethargy that you have from the intense humidity in Japan having that sake just it's almost it's just like a a shot of like ice down your
0: back it's amazing yeah i want a t-shirt with natsubate on it and then whenever i'm walking around japan and i'm a bit kind of you know if i go into a shop and i'm not paying attention or whatever you know what's happening here i'm I'm natsubate i get natsubate very easily but the whole point is that anything can be natsuzaki i mean like the 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 definition is so open i i'm pretty sure we're going to see new styles of natsuzaki in the future i am a really do think that in the next few years we're going to see a natsu kijoshu uh especially given the current circumstances because it's a great way to use up leftover sake and okay kijoshu doesn't necessarily make you think of the summer it's quite sticky and sweet um but now there are breweries that are making these styles of kijoshu that have much more acidity and there is a sparkling kijoshu out there isn't there Uh, by uh, shichiken in and i think they could easily make a summer style if they wanted to
2: but, but if you think about it, people have liqueurs on the rocks in summer, like umeshu, which is very, very sweet, quite sour. They have it on the rocks to make it more pal- palatable and drinkable and refreshing. And so something like um, a, kijo, a kijoshu, which has got a lot of residual sugar, if it's been brewed with it, maybe a kimoto method, and so it's got quite a spiky, um, punchy acidity, then that sweet sour and flavour would go
0: so nicely over the rocks. The the thing that I think is a problem with sake that you really do need if you want to make a natsu is acidity, and that's something that sake lacks. Uh, it has a much lower acidity than wine, but there are many different ways that you can add acidity to sake, and of course, Aramasa came up with the, the most ingenious one, which is to use white koji. So we have white koji sake, which, thanks to Aramasa, are now pretty much a staple in the uh, summer sake menu. A lot of breweries are actually using white koji now. So for those our listeners uh, to whom this is new information, there are three types of uh, well, there are more actually, but there are three main types of koji mold, essentially a yellow, a white, and a black one. The yellow one is used mainly to make sake. Uh, the white one is more uh, shochu. But in recent years, the Aramasa started to use white koji and why? Well, because it creates lots of citric acid and uh, that remains in the final product. So doing that is a great way to hype up the acidity. And of course, acidity creates a more refreshing sake, which is what it's all about. Um, So, yeah, definitely white Koji sake. I've seen a lot of those actually um, on the shelves.
2: Yeah, actually, in Akita, you've got quite a few. Like there's also Silky, which is by Amamoto, which is fantastic. and it's slightly pétillant, and it's sweet sour it's got that wonderful like citrus skin like acidity and it's so good
0: actually it's really nice it is really nice great for food pairing as well and if we move on to another style which uh is a bit harder to find but i think it's kind of cool and our listeners should definitely hear about it is a slush sake this really is a gimmick isn't it um
1: oh I can tell you okay. an episode of Okay can you tell us two, about Chris, it? I have but, to
0: say I've I've not had a chance to try it. Yeah, I've seen it.
1: Um so this is um this is a bit going off track cuz my my encounters with, with slushy sake isn't necessarily a natsuzake but nonetheless a great story. Um, if you are, Chris, or any of our listeners, you're in the Ebisu area.
2: We have got the same story. We have got the same story. Oh, my story. God.
1: <laughs> go go, do do me a favor and go hit up a tiny little bar called Booty. Best night out, worst hangover, guaranteed. Um, best worst nights of my life. What
2: was it called? Was it called Machikuru Sake? or something like that they'd always say mada sake because they would get you a one cup out of the out of the freezer and they'd say would you like some magic sake and I'd be like okay it just looks like a one cup and then you'd shake it and it would turn into a slushy and I was like that's amazing but 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 um so one thing that I learned after a couple of visits to this place drinking the slushy sake was that Mm. When a sake is frozen, the water is frozen, the alcohol defrosts first, yeah? So... boy oh boy oh boy, the first half of the drink is all alcohol. It's harsh.
1: And it's like, it's so chilled and it's like slightly sweet and kind of boozy and then the whole presentation of, you know, the bar, the, the, the bar, uh, bartender, I guess, just going back into this, reaching into this little freezer, grabbing these one cups, you know, these, uh, I guess, otherwise known as like bullet size sake in the States. And then just doing this like magical gesture with their hands, like flipping it upside down so that the sake that's been stored just on the cusp of freezing point somehow start to crystallize and become slushy and it's like, like the, the most mesmerizing thing to watch when you're already half drunk if not full-on drunk because usually I find myself you know going to this place after I've had um, a dinner outside elsewhere so usually you're you're pretty far up on your game by the time you you find yourself at booty and then they do this gesture and it's just so captivating.
0: My guess is the gesture is about shocking the sake, because I believe even the slightest shock knocks it into, uh, changes the crystallization pattern. They freeze it just on the cusp of it, like not turning into a uh, a, a frozen state, but actually being frozen. Um, so essentially, just by shocking it, you turn it into this slush. So
2: actually, this, this can... This connects you back to Ajinomachi because Bure was is supplied by Ajinomachi and the, the little one cups are not your regular seven eleven style or convenience store style one cups. They're like they're like ginjo shu or that they're, they're from you know Aki and all sorts of great breweries like that. I don't know if the brewer knows that their sake has become Majikuru sake, but. Um, it was
0: fun. <laughs> what I mean that's what I need right now, isn't it? So I need I need slush sake. I found a really cool Natsuzaki which I bet is off everyone's list. And that's Amazaki. Now bear with me here. Apparently in the in the Edo period it's it was summasaki. And if you if you're writing a haiku, a sake related haiku, Amazaki is actually a kigo, a seasonal word that you can use to make your haiku summary.
2: I was on a game I was on a game show and I had this this question, when do you drink amazake? And I thankfully for some reason i remembered that information about samasake. So I mean I call amazake it's like my pokari sweat or my Gatorade. When you have Natsubate, as we're starting to teach all of our audience about Natsubata is a, a or a summer lethargy is a very real thing here in Japan. <clears throat> and so when when you lose a lot of salts um from sweating and you're not really feeling very hungry because it's so hot having um amazake which is full of great um lactic acids and lots of amino acids and of course all-important glucose and some you know essential sort of salts and other things yeah it's it's such an amazing energy booster
0: sake as an energy booster—that's another kind of purpose of it, isn't it? Um, a lot of breweries make kind of higher protein style uh, sake, less polishing on the rice and stuff. That's another style which I've seen is becoming quite popular. They do actually advertise them as energy drinks as well, which is quite funny.
2: Well, and, and also when I mean when I when my friends are sick, often I'll know one of my friends in the office is sick because she'll, they'll have a little, a little, like the really small little containers of amazake on their desk. What it means by sick is that there might be a little bit hungover.
0: <laughs> so they call, I mean, it's not technically uh, sake. I mean, its it's got a bit of alcohol in, right? Depending on how they make it, it might have, you know, have varying degrees of alcohol. Um, the obvious way to make it is just from koji, of course. Um, but like... One one very popular way to cure a hangover here in Japan is just to basically drink more sake. They call it um, mukai sake, basically. So it's kind of to face sake with more sake. Um,
2: isn't isn't that kind of a universal thing? The hair yeah, of the dog. Yeah, hair
0: of the dog. Quite true. Yeah, quite right. Yeah. Um, so well, we've covered a lot of different styles of sake. When you really start digging deep, you realize how many different you know variations there are. Well, out there. I,
2: I would like to put, make a shout out to um a sake which I think is available in quite a few international countries. So um we're probably talking about some sake which isn't a summer sake or some Natsake which isn't maybe available overseas. Um but perhaps I think in, in Europe for sure and maybe even North America you could possibly if you've got a good um sake um shop in your area or you uh, connected to a great um, sake supplier online um, you could might be able to find uh, Tamagawa's icebreaker which is brewed by um, our dear friend philip Harper, and is a fantastic it's one of those high octane high alcohol varietals which is designed to be enjoyed as the name suggests on the ice um, but I think and it's also available in 375 ml bottles as well as 720 as well as the big you know, or is it maybe it yeah, I think maybe it's also it was. So in the in the and the in the one point eight liter um airhop bins as well, and that's a, and also cost performance is amazing because you're having it on ice that that bottle does tend to go quite a long way well. That should technically go quite a long way. And I mean, <laughs> but, like,
0: um, Icebreaker is a fantastic example. In fact, I think that's probably the first Natsuzaki I came across and didn't realize it was a Natsuzaki. Like, people were telling me afterwards, you know, that's a Natsuzaki. Do you realize that? Yeah. But you can get it all year round, though, can't you? Mm. So it's no, no, a... no, no, no. You nope. can't at
2: all. No, it's every, because I did seminars, um, and every year I did the seasonal Sake um, seminar, and I always did it in summer so that we could have summer which were more difficult to get than the other varietals all year round and every year I would contact Philip in May and say can you please you know save a couple of bodies that Rebecca we've already sold out. It it's very very limited production um, so but I do know that some of it is some of it is um exported and you're probably more likely to get your hands at it overseas than Japan because it's got such a cult following here
0: you bring in overseas and that's really a good place to start talking about another fantastic merit of Natsaki is its potential um like Taka said to me he said you know one of the greatest things about natsusake that I really want to uh walk more on in the future is it allows us to localize. There's this this he th- he sees it as a great way to promote more Saki overseas um however the big barrier to this strategy is of course proper storage so i was wondering rebecca if you could maybe tell us about this amazing storage idea that your company is currently uh working on
2: well we've de- well so i work at a company called japan craft sake company and my president is um former uh, foot- professional football player Hire-jushin Nakata, and nakata-san had long been wondering about how to improve um storage of sake to ensure that sure that the end consumer and um, were able to enjoy sake in the not only its optimal condition but in this in the with the expression that the brewer um, intended for it and traveling around the world and as a sake lover he was drinking sake in various countries and was appalled <laughs> by the condition that you know because a sake that isn't handled well, unfortunately, is not um is it's hard to forget that. And unfortunately people won't be thinking, oh, the sake wasn't stored well. They'll be thinking this brewer doesn't make good sake. Right? And so in order to um, solve that problem of the end consumer not knowing what the true expression or the real flavour of the sake tastes like. Um, he wanted to create some storage solutions. And so he looked into it, and especially as, you know, the world's connoisseurs spend so much money and so many you know, wine companies and wine distributors around the world spend an enormous amount of money and resources on properly cellaring their wine, why is it that there is less due diligence done on sake? And so in, he gathered together a group of some prominent brewers, um, as well as winemakers, so from you know, France and top Champagne and, and um, and consulted with them on the best way to create um, a storage system, or a storage unit that was small enough to have in your house, but was large enough for maybe a small restaurant. Um, because as you know, in Japan, our restaurants are pretty small, and they don't have space for a fridge just to store their sake. So it needs to be um, some kind of cellaring unit which is going to be lifestyle um, friendly and just for a modern consumer or for a Japanese style small restaurant um, which allows for premium wine and sake to be stored side by side. So it's with, they've worked with you know, engineers to develop um, a two-chambered system. one chamber has got its own compression system and can be stored at the premium wine temperature of around about 12 to 14 degrees with um you know you can adjust the humidity zone as well and the sake side can be stored from plus 20 to minus five so minus five is ideal for long-term storage and cellaring natsuzake namazake um and maybe two degrees for something that is um Once pasteurized, zero degrees for something that you're just going to keep in a in a holding pattern to until you drink it next month. Um, and then if you're wanting to accelerate age something on purpose, you know, don't do this at home. Take it at your own risk. It's not what the um, brewer intended. But if you're wanting to store something for, you know, for your own purposes, um, you could store it up to twenty degrees if you wanted to. But the purpose of it is to maintain um, the perfect environment for sake to, um, be enjoyed in its optimal condition. So that was, the first prototype was developed, I think in 2015. And then it took a while to be, it was massive and expensive. (laughs) Um, and now in last year, it was finally launched by Sakura Works. Um, so it's called the Sake Seller. And it's, it's a premium product, um, but it's, it's, um, a very very high quality product so if you love your sake and your wine you can enjoy you can take care of both of your precious vessels <laughs> in your home or in your restaurant
0: i will never forget the first time i tasted sake in a sake brewery like from the tank from the press and nothing i've tasted in the bottle since has beat beat that and well that's just you know that's the way it goes you know there's just no way right now to bottle that that um that beauty um science doesn't allow for it but yeah my first taste of like namazake um that had been stored properly and you know shipped properly yeah it's quite something
2: but then we should also tell people about the negative side so we're talking about namahine so what does how do you know that you're drinking a Natsuzake or a namazake that is gone off gone off peak and where because i actually I've been through many you know transitions in my journey and I went through a stage I think it was like twenty 2012 2014 I loved Namahine, and I was searching for it um, because I found it really interesting and compelling I don't know why but well I still do actually but what I loved about it was it's almost like when it's bad it's really really bad but when it's on the edge it Almost be like catnip, and it does smell a little bit like catnip. It's got this musty, kind of mousy kind of aroma, which is a little bit like a pheromone. And honestly, when you get one of those, it's right on the edge of going really, really deep, dark, or, or or off unpasteurized sake. Um, it can be quite interesting. So I was like it was my holy grail to try and find those those namahine on the edge but um, um I think it's important that we talk about what a namahine Smells like to other people because that's my perception so that people have got an idea of if they come across a sake it may be that it's a rice sake that's gone off-peak and It's not the brewer it's possibly the conditions that that sake's been in what is number what is number to you Chris?
0: it's kind of i mean it has so many different forms for me actually but the one which i'm not so fond of is probably that kind of um milk that's kind of gone off type aroma um not just musty but kind of like something lactic is going wrong like yeah like milk that's gone off or vegetables or pickles or something like that but not like not like nice pickles or vegetables kind of like you know almost rotting vegetables or pickles um i have to say i rarely do come across that really seriously bad uh namahine because i look after my namazaki but um that's what i would classify that kind of it's a very musty musky kind of smell but um yeah, when it gets really bad, it's
2: actually Anthony Anthony Moss from WSET used to tease me about this. My love of these um off um, Nama stuff, and he described it quite nicely to me. Actually, he described it as like a pig rolling in ba- in geraniums or bacon and
0: geranium. Yes, you get a lot of bacon. You get a lot of bacon, and I do like the bacon. But then for me, when it when it's bacon, it's crossed into Namajuku territory, which is kind of like this aged namo which is a little bit different um the worst type of namazaki for me is when it's also and i've only ever smelled this once but is when it's also gone hiochi as well so it's kind of like um it's you know it's got a sulfurous so eggy kind of smell as well which i really can't yeah i can't add.
2: and so if you get a natuzaki and you suspect that it is not in great condition and you are overseas i really do suggest that you bring it to the attention of the staff and just say, hey, you know, I'm not sure, especially if you are not sure, make sure that you you don't say, this is off. But, you know, suggest to them, I think perhaps that this sake might not be in its optimal condition. And I think that you should be, I think as a consumer, you should be very much in your rights to have another bottle opened. If the problem continues in the second um, bottle, then it's obviously a, a, a storage issue on the whole, and not a bottle issue um but again i would bring it to the attention of the staff because perhaps they're not quite sure um i think we've got to do everything we can to try and give consumers as much information much um, support and ideas on how to get their sake in the best condition possible
0: and i would say to the staff for any kind of you know restaurants that are thinking about stocking Zaki. Exactly. i would say you need to do your homework a little bit you need to be able to explain to the consumer in that situation if you can convince the consumer there's a reason why it smells like that right and and you you've got knowledge and you're clearly passing on the you know the knowledge you've got from the brewer i don't think there's a problem um i don't feel perhaps there's a need to open a new bottle in that case if you if you do a good enough job of you know explaining why it smells like that but um yeah, that's the only thing about Natsuzaki, perhaps. I mean, it does depend on what type of Natsuzaki you're stocking, of course, because if it's a sake that on purpose is like made to you know, smell a bit kind of quirky, then you need to be able to explain why that is the case. Like, For example, with white koji, maybe, for example, you do get a lot of these slightly more unusual aromas that someone who's a seasoned sake drinker might turn the nose up yeah, at Yeah, people and are
2: not going to be expecting things like um, like lime and chalk, And those kinds of aromas that you get on a lot of the shirokoji. But all this talking of shirokoji makes me really want to drink. It makes me want to drink some right now. And that's exactly what made the shirokoji.
0: One thing I would give as a good idea, because it came from Taka. Uh, He said that um, probably like Natsuzaki back in the day would have been a bit like, or sake back in the day even, would have been a bit like Korean makori, he thinks. And one other summer style. now. This is a wild card because it's not technically sake, um, but I have seen this is doburoku, so it's not sake. Okay, let's get that out out there first. It's not filtered, um, so it's not sake. or well, it's not pressed, so it can't be called sake or seishu or nihonshu. But uh, and I want to wrap up actually uh, by talking about just very briefly. I got a bit of insight about the current situation with regards to um, you know uh, the the virus which we will not name. Um, and how that's affected summer sake sales, Natsuzaki sales this year. Um, so, Taka, for example, uh, they released their uh, signature so- Natsuzaki, which is Sparkling Saki, uh, based on the Petaland styles in Alsace. Uh, they complete that at the end of May, and it goes on sale in June. They really struggled in June, but as of now, they have completely sold out. And uh told me that uh, they're struggling a little bit Uh, 70% compared 70% sales of Natsuzaki compared to last year so it's down by 30% Um, and the biggest problem they're saying is that you just don't have that interaction with the end consumer which is kind of essential for Natsuzaki Um, and with so many restaurants having closed either temporarily or you know or for good um, or just not doing the normal service they just the brewers just don't have that interaction with the consumer. And if you can't get consumers to actually taste your Natsuzaki, it's very hard to sell it. So, um, But uh, actually, Natsuzaki could be the key to helping the industry get through this um, because it's an easy one to enjoy at home and you can sell it online in 720 milliliter sizes. And right now, the thing that breweries are struggling the most to sell is 1.8 liter bottles, because those are the ones that they sell to restaurants. And being able to compensate with 720 milliliter bottles and other smaller sizes is good. Um, so, uh, I think that about wraps it up for our episode, a little deep dive into Natsuzaki. Any last thoughts?
2: Well, you just tortured me now because all this talk about yummy sake, I'm like, I don't have enough in my fridge. I might have to venture out with a mask on. <laughs> but I think it would be great to hear from, you know, all the listeners out there as well. If you have your own experiences that you want to share with everyone um, in the sake on air community, the greater community um drop us a line make a comment um share your experiences i'm sure people will be really interested to hear about everyone else's um you know favorite natsuzake or favorite experiences and memories i think that'd be a nice thing to share
0: fantastic well that'll do it for this episode of Saki on air uh thank you so much uh rebecca marie it's been an absolute pleasure and uh please everyone take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be enjoying the show on Uh, feel free to send your questions Uh, comments to questions at sakeonair.com or you can find us uh, at sakeonair on on Instagram Twitter and Facebook and you can listen to the show on YouTube as well or watch the show on YouTube as well Um, more sakeonair is coming your way in two weeks time until then, thank you Rebecca, thank you Marie
1: thank you Thank
0: you! Hope everyone out there enjoys the summer, and until next time, Kampai!